Hello, revelers and weirdos. When you listen to this episode, we are currently on our honeymoon. honeymoon. <laughs> and so, today's episode is 2014's Honeymoon. <laughs> so, the happily married couple in this film are played by Rose Leslie, playing B. You know her, she's from Game, Game of, of Thrones. Thrones. Game of Thrones, one of the wildlings. You know nothing, Jon Snow. Except for when you nibble on me. (laughs) I did watch it, you know, James. (laughs) And the husband is played by Harry Treadaway. Mm. I'm going to assume it's pronounced that way. It's literally Tread Away. That's his surname. Which I also recognise. I can't remember where. Don't Google it because I want to surprise you. Oh. Okay, you will recognise him... Well, I recognise him for playing Dr. Victor Frankenstein in the Penny Dreadful trilogy. You didn't watch that, did you? No. Got a bit heavy. But you would recognise him from the first season of Picard, where he played the Romulan. Oh. He was a love interest. He was the attractive-looking Romulan trying to seduce Data's daughter. Oh, okay, yes, yes, yep. So you think, you think you have previously seen him in a streetcar, no, a street cat named Bob. I was thinking of the Tennessee Williams play, Streetcar Named Desire. No, a street cat named Bob, but that wasn't him. That was his twin brother, Luke. I mean, I didn't put those together, but sure. To be honest, I'm glad we are not... Recording this episode, we haven't watched this film on our actual honeymoon. Because, oh uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad I'm glad too. Yeah, it's um, a bit uncomfortable for me because part of our honeymoon resembles quite a lot of this film. Yeah, why did you make me watch this? I'm glad that we watched it far in advance of our honeymoon. Yeah, I would have regretted it if we watched <laughs> this on our actual honeymoon. And I hope I don't actually remember it. On a honeymoon either. I know we're not going away to Canada. We'd love to go away to Canada. Oh, someone's obviously regretting not going to Canada. Well, we're not going to Canada. I'm absolutely happy with the choice of where we're going on honeymoon. Yeah, I love where we're going. In hindsight, hopefully we are enjoying our honeymoon while you listen to this episode. But the film is set in Canada in a very remote woodland area. Yeah, but our second location is in the middle of a woodland. <laughs> it's literally a cabin in the woods. Literally a private cabin in its own exclusive woodland. So yeah, it looks a lot like this film. It's maybe like a 25 minute walk to the nearest like village. And now if you think about it, great. In daytime. <laughs> yeah. So what's it going to be like when we walk back? And now when we've watched this, um. <laughs> yeah, because woodlands. We love we love nature. We love mm. we love walking through nature reserves. Not at night time. No. No. We already experienced that actually, didn't we? When we were um in Seven Oaks and Yeah. Somebody wanted a New Year's Eve photo shoot for the first year of us dating. In in the reserve. Yeah. <laughs> in the nature reserve. <laughs> and then same person hears a noise and goes, Who goes there? Who <laughs> Who, who asked that question? <laughs> Me. <laughs> what are you expecting if somebody replies back? 
that's not a good situation <laughs> to be in. Yeah. Jump in the lake. Yeah, because our back is towards the lake. We literally have to leave the place walking forward. So hopefully we don't have to experience any of that. <laughs> We're on honeymoon. Because after watching this film, if we even remember even slightest bits of it, we're closing our curtains. I mean, the curtains are being closed anyway because I'm scared of the dark. And I have a vivid imagination. Yes, like... and, and it's a honeymoon. <laughs> we're potentially doing stuff. <laughs> yes, there's that too. Yes, we, when we don't want any voyeurs watching us in our cabin in the middle of the woods. Especially after watching this film. You've got two British actors playing Americans. I think that's a testament. I mean, I'm being a bit obnoxious. But I think if you are want... Are they American or are they Canadian? No, because they. she said when she's trying to remember herself and her memories that they live in Brooklyn. But her family's got a cabin in Canada. Yeah, because they must have some money. So, yeah. So if you want some good performances, you get some English people to play Americans. Unless you're Benedict Cumberbatch and you have that very questionable accent when you play Doctor Strange. I don't know why you're saying this, though. Because we have a long tradition of professionally trained actors. So I'm sorry to say it, British people tend to have better actors compared to Americans. To the point you have a film set in Canada with two American characters played by Englishmen. Yeah, but maybe that's just a preference. Of what, the director? Yeah. And yet she has American actors in the Fear Street regime. Well, you're saying it's cheaper to hire English people. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that it's whoever is casting the um, the actors and actresses on a film, they will have a preference on, on who they're going for. And it's also, it's not anything to do with what country the person comes from. It's how they perform. Do they fit this character? Okay, but maybe I'm somewhat proud of our country and I like to think that we have far better actors originating from England. I think we have many great ones but I don't put them over anyone else. I would. <laughs> okay. That's not really the point of the film though is it? But there is not a lot of plot. You have a couple, they go on a honeymoon. The wife's family's cottage which oddly he has never visited before, and yet it's not this run-down shack. It has a boathouse. It's literally connected to the lake. Why haven't you visited this place before? It looks amazing. I seem to think that they've had quite a fast relationship into the marriage. They haven't had any like discussions or anything about, first of all, about children. Yeah, it's not a conversation you have on your honeymoon. No. From experience, you have that conversation long before you get engaged. Yeah. And also, you don't be like, yes, we need to rest your womb. <laughs> don't say that to me. <laughs> well, I thought I say very questionable things in the bedroom to try to get you in a mood, which <laughs> never works. Some of the things they say in this, it's not... This is not the things that newlyweds say. Even if you think they've got into this marriage very quickly, they've obviously had a previous relationship or beforehand. Mm. It's not a shotgun wedding. It's not like they've met two weeks ago and got married. They've been in a relationship for some time, and yet they haven't had these 
conversations about whether or not you want a child or not. I'm trying to think when we had that kind of conversation. Well, you can't think of it because it happens naturally, doesn't it? Yeah. But to force it into this film because it connects to what you see in the third act in a really gross way, it's yeah. shoehorned in. Well, okay. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. What I would like to point out, and I'm not sure if all of our listeners know this, but we have nicknames for each other. Yeah. And very early on... <laughs> Is it nick- nicknames or pet names? What's the difference? I'm not going to Google it. I don't want to Google it. Same thing? Yeah, yeah. Pet names are more affectionate. Oh, okay. He he just goes and calls her Honeybee, and I was very shocked. <laughs> because that is your pet name for me. Yeah, but did I come up with that, or did you come up with that? We didn't just decide on each other's pet names, no. It just happened. I saw this film a couple of years before I met you, and it's not like I internalised this character's bee's pet name of honeybee and think oh when i finally get in a relationship and if it lasts i'm going to call my significant other the same thing i don't think i internalize that subconsciously so when this film played and they show that little clip at the start of their wedding video and says it out loud yeah and you was like oh that's a little bit too close to home yeah please don't say that your pet name is sweet pea as well because <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. This is yeah, this is no, too much. This is it's too much. It's too close to home. But he doesn't get a um a pet name, does he? If he does have a pet name, it's said during a very traumatic moment of pure drama and it got past us cuz we had to endure a lot of rather disgusting body horror in the mm. third act of this film. So, over the course of this film, we're meant to believe that Paul when he discovers his new wife is vanished in the night, she's having her way with the old flame in the woods somewhere. You say old flame, though, but she says that they were 13. We've seen enough films now. It's a red herring, which is clearly a red herring. We know, as the audience, this isn't the case. Because earlier, mm-hmm. we see a scene where she wakes up in the middle of the night because some weird light shines through the window. Yeah, and it it sets off all the um, electrics, doesn't it? And makes his alarm go off. Yeah, he wakes up at 3.45 at night thinking it's later later (laughs) in the morning. And he goes out fishing and then comes back and then his wife's missing and he finds her naked in the woods. And then later on he finds her torn up nightgown with some jizz-like fluid on it. (laughs) And yet he doesn't flinch, he just... Touches the nightgown and think, oh, there's some definitely some jizz like material on my fingers. The next scene doesn't depict him washing his hands like anyone would normally do. No. So when we think, we're meant to think, oh, she's having an affair with this old flame. Yeah. No, 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 it's not. It's, it's motherfucking aliens. It's <laughs> aliens. When he first started to search for her, I was like, yes, so someone that knows how to turn on lights. <laughs> and then. He wanders outside. First of all, he's sticking to the path that's got lights in the ground or something. And then, what does he do? Goes off in the pitch black through the woodland. Yeah, because he hears something rustling in the woods. Yeah. You don't, I mean, you don't go towards that. You flee. 
I mean, I understand he's being brave because at first he wakes up in the middle of the night, his alarm's gone off when it's not meant to because the aliens have messed up with electronics of the alarm clock. Yeah, and obviously he doesn't know that yeah. it was the wrong time. And but, but first he can't find his wife. At first he says, OK, I'm going to bed now. Mm, no, no. If you can't find your wife, you don't just go back to bed. If it's not your home, if it's some strange place you've never been to before... You do what he does after that, after saying that, you go looking for her. Mm. And I guess you can overcome your fear when you hear something rustling in the woods. <laughs> and that's when he finds B naked in the woods and he starts thinking, oh, she's been up to no good, she's cheating on me. And the paranoia starts setting in. We've already seen the light like shine on her face and it does that weird, like, what is that, that oppressive... So the audience knows that something's off. So we have to go through this whole rigmarole of he's going to think she's cheating. He's getting paranoid. And he he starts seeing these weird, what did you say? There were puncture marks in the inside of her Mm. thigh. She starts acting oddly and she starts playing out this whole scenario where second he wants to have sex with her, she starts saying she's got a headache. So naturally he thinks, oh, she's cheating on me. She's also forgetting things as well. Forgetting who she is. Do you believe in aliens? Um, I believe there's something out there. I mean, it would be a bit of a it's, lonely world. I think it's arrogant to think that we're the only intelligent life yeah. out there in the universe. I don't know if they look how we interpret them. I have numerous theories. Firstly, I think there is life out there. But we are so insignificant to them, they don't bother with us. They look at us and they think, oh, they've just discovered nuclear power. They've able to leave their planet and arrive on their little natural satellite, the moon. Oh, why are we going to pay any attention to them? We can travel at the speed of light throughout the universe. Why are we going to pay attention to this primitive life? They're not going to abduct us, probe our little buttholes dissect our cattle i don't think aliens are doing that unless it's some really grand reality tv show they like to watch i can understand that but the other theory is what we think of as aliens is us in the future Hmm. how do we perceive aliens normally (laughs) i mean you've got the the funny version. <laughs> funny version? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's funny. What? Skinny-legged, big-headed. Yeah. With big, fat eyes. <laughs> you think that's funny? Green body. Or grey body. Yeah. They used to scare the shit out of me. Once again, my parents thought it was acceptable for me to watch The X-Files. Wait, Living- sorry. From what I just described, it kind of sounds like a frog. <laughs> what, the big eyes? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. A green body, long legs. <laughs> so aliens are frogs. A big head. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, I was introduced to the X-Files. I remember this vividly because, once again, like Ghostwatch, scarred me for life. I saw the first time I was introduced to the X-Files was episode one, season two, Little Grey Men. That's mm-hmm. the title of it. I remember that because clearly it affected me. I think that came out in America in 1995 and back in the day, showing my age, there was a delay. So 
season two probably was aired on BBC Two in 1996. So I was nine, give or take. Mm. And my parents thought, yeah, you can watch this show. And the episode depicted Mulder going off into some remote area in the woods to some satellite station, some radio station. And he comes into contact from his perspective of aliens. We only see a silhouette of them, like in this film, but they literally blow off the door, the locked door of this radio station. You see this creepy silhouette of a little grey man and he freaks the fuck out because Mulder thought his sister was abducted by aliens when he was a boy. So was I terrified of being abducted by aliens and anal probed for most of my adolescence? Yes, I was. <laughs> yes, I was. Oh, but I was fascinated because there was, thanks to the X-Files, there was this massive flux of attention directed at aliens again and UFOs. Mm. I think is the most popular since the Roswell incident in 1947 and the 50s. There was this massive influx of alien sightings and chubacabras and all happened around the same time as the X-Files became popular and that's when I got interested in aliens and that's when I started believing aliens existed. Mm. So you had that and I had Chucky. <laughs> yeah, I had Ghostwatch and X-Files. So at the same time, I believed ghosts and aliens existed and I still believe that ghosts and aliens existed. But I was absolutely terrified that literally I would be abducted in the middle of the night, much like this film, and subjected to numerous experiments by little green men. <laughs> and it's like this, this weird little juxtaposition of being terrified but also fascinated because I remember purchasing this metal poster literally of an alien's face, literally the big bulbous grey head and the very creepy big black eyes and had like the universe behind it. I had that on my wall but every time I went to bed at night I picked up that tinned poster and turned it around so I saw the back of the metal poster <laughs> when I went to bed because one time I woke up in the middle of the night and as my eyes adjusted I had a big alien head with black eyes staring back at me. Yeah. Yeah, great. And every time my car came up the road and its headlights shone through my curtains I thought oh great this is the night I'm going to be anal probed <laughs> oh dear and then from X-Files I watched Steven Spielberg's produced Taken well I need to watch it again but from what I remember was this whole we're going to explore alien abduction it's the first time Steven Spielberg has approached the topic of aliens since Close Encounters of the Third Kind Every episode depicted a point in timeline of these numerous families who had been affected by these alien abductions. I thought, oh, Steven Spielberg, Indiana Jones, Jurassic Park, I can watch this. And then there was a scene where literally somebody, I can't remember who, gets abducted by aliens when these little green men literally jump through the fucking window at the end of the episode. He's like, no, and oh, great. Who's not going to sleep tonight? Who's going to have night terrors? Yeah, me. Great. So, yeah, this film's quite triggering for me. <laughs> I mean, the outline of the aliens is humanoid. And again, it's never outright said it's aliens. 
It no. could be the government experimenting on this bee and on this other character, Annie. They seem to be targeting women. By shoving something rope-like. Oh, hello. Hello there. Rope-like. I thought it was more... It's like tendrils. I thought it was more like placenta, like the umbilical cord. That's what it looked like to me. Hmm. You didn't pick up on that. No. And listeners well, are... really long. Yeah, listeners are thinking, what are they talking about? Yeah, in the third act, things get quite gruesome. You get some serious Cronenberg body horror and B is trying to like she's stabbing at her vajayjay <laughs> let's just say it vagina that's aggressive well that's what it is <laughs> can we use a better a different term can we use a different term no think more you know a bit more friendly to the ears that's what it is okay I prefer meat vice <laughs> fine vagina B is lying in the corner of the bathroom, stabbing at her vagina. Yeah, right, okay. In your eyes, what was she using? I don't know. I think I blacked out. either it was some sort of knife or a stick. Oh, really? Because I thought it was like a shard of glass. So, goes to show the power of the imagination. Oh, dear. You don't actually see what she's stabbing her vagina with. No, because, oh, it just, it yeah. made me feel so uncomfortable. Like I kind of felt like pains. Yeah, Sam crossed her legs. Ugh. It made me feel a little bit sick. Yeah, so Paul decides to tie her up because obviously he's trying to stop her inflicting harm upon herself. And then... She goes all weird. Yeah, she goes all, she, yeah, she goes all weird because he thinks that... <laughs> wait, wait, wait. She goes more weird. Yeah, she goes more weird. Because over, over the course of the film, you think she's lying. She thinks she's covering her tracks. Well, no, she's... Whatever's happening to her is causing her to forget who she is. Her because me- whatever it is, is taking over her body. Yeah, it's taking mind. over her... It's taking over her mind, her memories. And Paul is trying to bring her back. And he doesn't recognise who she is anymore. He kind of like thinks she's been replaced. Like... Invasion of the body snatcher mm, style. Yeah. So he ties her up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, he's tied her up, but he's like looking at her toes like... <laughs> In my eyes, I was like, are you trying to see where there's like a little cut? Where they've just kind of slipped her skin over another body? No, because he's, he's that like... That kind of thing. He's like... Oh, these are the toes I remember. These are like the knees I remember. Yeah, do you remember my knees? No. I remember your toes. You have special toes. Thank you. Special toes that we might exploit on OnlyFans. Uh, So you make money, Sam. OnlyFans. A lot of people have foot fetishes. I don't understand it myself because I'm very vanilla sexually, but a lot of people like toes. Ask Quentin Tarantino. (laughs) Tarantino has a foot fetish. No. But yeah, he like recognises her toes, recognises her knees. He's like kissing her. He's like, oh, you still smell the same, you still taste the same. And he's edging up her body. I mean, this is after she's stabbed herself and there's blood everywhere. Yeah, there's like blood everywhere. Blood on her. she's definitely not herself. Blood on the bathroom. I'm assuming she's still bleeding down there and decides to start feeling her up. Yeah, how does that feel for you? Well, for me, 
No, that's what he says. Oh, yeah. It's not It's not the time, Paul. No. And he regrets it because he retracts his fingers and he's got this... Slimy, webby... Web-like substance. Yeah. Yeah, and then she kind of becomes coherent. She remembers who she is and tells him to take it out. And that's when you get the umbilical cords kind yeah, of substance. Which also, oh, no, even now it makes me feel funny. Even now. Yeah, this film is not good if you are female. You're not going to enjoy this ride. This is not a good film if you are a woman. No, no. So, yeah, he pulls out this worm-like umbilical cord type thing out of her, which moves. Yay. Wanted to see that. <laughs> Not how you want to spend your honeymoon. No. No. I'd really like to forget this film when we go on a honeymoon. Yeah, and you, you think, this is the kind of film you watch and you think, why are these white people not leaving now? You would leave. Mm. In this situation, you would leave. And he could have left. They could have left. She came up with some excuses. He kind of went along with it. But there's a point where she hides the keys so they can't leave. So plot reasons, they can't obviously leave. obviously they're taking over her mind. Yeah, so they want to keep her. And it's creepy because you never understand why they are doing these things to her. They never outrightly explain what is happening to her, what she is becoming, because at the end of the film, she's got those creepy little contact lenses, her skin's all mm. scaly. She's trying to remember... Meets up with Annie. Yeah, the other one who's been taken over, who's done away with her husband. They just take them out into the woods and doing all sorts to them, and they're trying to remember who they are. And it's creepy because they don't explain things. A little lesson there, folks. If you want to make things scary in a horror film... Don't explain everything. Because your audience will use their imagination. Yeah, go go and tell Rob Zombie. I kind of regret watching this now. Yes. But we're recording this in advance. We're not recording this on our actual honeymoon. No, we're, we're, we're technically not married yet, so hopefully... Well, hopefully we are married at this point, when well, you listen to this episode. As we're recording this, <laughs> we're not married. But as you're listening to this, we will be married... And I would have forgotten about this film because I really don't want to remember. And I think I've said that already, but I'm re reiterating it. <laughs> I do not want to see any shadows or lights coming in. <laughs> well, our honeymoon is split into two parts. Accidentally, both parts of our honeymoon are set around nature reserves in remote woodland areas. I, we didn't intend to do that. It just happened. Because that's what we enjoy. Yeah. And we find these very nice locations in the middle of nowhere. Hopefully we're enjoying them right now. Second part of our honeymoon, in the middle of the woods, in this tiny little cabin, curtains are being drawn. If you hear any noise outside, we're making sure the doors are locked. <laughs> the doors are locked, the windows are locked. <laughs> yes, the windows are fastened. Lights are on. <laughs> James has acquired a stick at some point and he's clutching it very tightly. <laughs> He's going to protect his now wife. Bigfoot's extinct in these regions, like the bears and the boars. We we wiped them all out. Which isn't so great, but in another way. It's not it's not great if you love animals, which we do, but also 
Also, you don't want to encounter a bear when you're walking through a nature reserve, Sam. No. no. Yeah, that's... Actually, the last time we, we went out walking in a woodland, I did say that, like, this is perfect territory for wolves. And um, and then I was like, oh, my God, are there wolves? Forgetting where we are. No, yeah. there are no wolves. There was. Hundreds, hundreds of years ago, there was wolves. We wiped them out so that... Those people's descendants could enjoy nature reserves. I mean, I don't think that was the reason, but sure. No, we were just bloodthirsty hunters. Yes. Well, thanks. Thanks, ancestors, for making our nature reserve walks a lot more safer. Yeah, a lot more safer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the setting of this film, it's a cabin in the woods. And you think, oh, okay, that sounds a bit dodgy. No, because it's more like a mansion. You got woodland views. You got lakeside views. It's got a boathouse attached to it. It's quite pleasant. And I like wooden cabins. I find it aesthetically pleasing. There's a fine line where there's too much wood in a property where it descends into evil dead territory. James, seriously, like our second place, it is a log cabin. Ah, this cabin in this film it's a bit hickey. It's a bit, it's a bit Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's a lot of dead animals on the walls. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, and in this case, there's a lot of dead ducks because was it Bee's dad is a hunter? Is it dead ducks though? Because they're like rummaging around in them at one point, and I think they're wood. Rummaging them. Yeah, he was looking for keys like inside the ducks. I didn't... Okay. I completely wiped that from my <laughs> That's life. what it looked like to me. What, so not only does Bee's dad hunt ducks and, like, embalms them and puts them decoratively on the wall, he also hollows them out and makes them no, as a I key holder. Mm, no, I don't think they were real because at one point she was using a duck head on his nipple. I thought it was a whole duck. And it looked wood. Yeah, because you embalm something, it becomes quite hard. I mean, that's disgusting if that was a real duck. Honeymoon, you do kinkier stuff. Not with animals. Well, that's wishful thinking out the window. Okay. <laughs> Joking. Yeah. Oh, we haven't actually said um, Paul. What Paul. happens to Paul? Oh, yeah, what does happen to Paul, Sam? Yeah, well, I guess she um, wanted to take her revenge out on him by him tying her up on the bed before because she decides she's going to save him by hiding him in the water in the lake. Oh, so you actually thought that was a act of malice? I think she's genuinely lost her mind. Yeah, I think she has these Alzheimer symptoms of her mind completely being wiped that she honestly thinks hiding him underwater is the only way of protecting him. Hmm. Because whoever it is, and we assume it's aliens, wants rid of the men. So I don't think that was like, I'm going to get my revenge for tying you up. And obviously he didn't do a good job of tying her up because literally he leaves that room and seconds later she's already on her feet. (laughs) She's already there. Oh, very interesting. Are you all looking at the same thing I'm looking at? On tomatoes? Yes. Yeah. Hey, I normally do it. You know, but INDB gave it like a 5.7. Should we do... Everybody loves a cliche. Like, don't go in the woods at night. That's it. Make sure you have phone signal. Well, it's not like 
oh, they dropped the keys, oh, somebody trips over, because it's a low-budget film. Low-budget films tend to be a little bit classier, and it's literally don't explore at night in the dark. Yeah. That's it, that's it. I mean, she hides the keys. Yeah, you don't see her hiding the keys, though. He knows how to turn on the lights. Yeah, he turns on, so not a lot of cliches. Although it doesn't go outside with a torch. And I bet you anything, this director, when she directed the Fear Street trilogy, and I only watched the first part because, to be honest, I found it boring and riddled with cliches, the bigger the budget a director gets, especially when it comes to horror films, the more inclined they are to use cliches in their stories. And Mm. I know directors don't write the script, but the bigger the budget, the more cliche the script tends to be. So it doesn't matter because we haven't watched the Fear Street trilogy. We didn't jump on that hype train. We didn't cover no. it on this podcast when it came out. Are we going to do it anytime in the future? Unlikely, to be honest. Three films, a lot of effort. Okay, then. Yeah, okay, then. <laughs> James is liking to rant. <laughs> so, yeah, so this one got a 76% tomato meter. Yes, and what I just saw? 44% audience score. Usually it's the other way, isn't it, with horror films? Usually, is, yeah. usually the critics don't like the horror film, but the audience does. But from what I glimpsed when we were both looking at Rob Tomatoes, this is also certified fresh. Oh no, I haven't seen that. It's the image. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah it's certified fresh. Huh. I think it's considered that because it is somewhat unique compared to other horror films. It doesn't use the typical structure of a horror film it isn't riddled with cliches it is a bit unique it's a bit arty and it has a very downbeat disturbing ending tens when it comes to horror films critics tend to give it a more favorable score as a result did you enjoy it Sam? that's all that matters did you enjoy it really did you find it scary i found it disgusting (laughs) Yeah. That's the typical response of a body horror. So it's accomplished its go. Great. It wanted to gross you out. You crossed your legs in disgust. <laughs> yeah. You felt somewhat violated watching this film. Job done. Mission accomplished. Thank you, honeymoon. My last little note was motherfucking aliens. Three explanation marks. More of the story is don't have your honeymoon in a remote cabin in the woods. Sam, where's our honeymoon? Don't make your future wife watch this before your honeymoon. We close the curtains, we're fine. Yeah, sure. You won't be anal probed. Aliens won't do stuff to you. We'll lock the doors. Yeah, I don't think doors really matter. No. But on that note. No, yeah, on that note. On that note. You have been listening to Scaring Sam, and you can find us at Instagram and Twitter at Scaring Sam Pod. And you can contact us always at scaringsampod at gmail.com. Yes. Thank you for listening. I've been Sam. And I've been James. Stay safe out there. Sounds like I'm slurring my words. I'm usually very shouting. I've got a really loud voice. I usually slur my words before I drink, so my theory is I talk normally when I drink. Sure. We put that to the test at the wedding. 
Mm. We'll keep you posted. You can have three drinks. That I've bought myself and the rest people are given to me. No. People give you drinks on the wedding. Yes. 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 This is literally... After the food. (laughs) 